This morning I want to discuss with you the subject, God Say It. This evening I want to ask a question, and then each of us need to answer the question for ourselves. What is life? Just what is your life? I want to examine this from the standpoint of the book and see what the Bible says our lives ought to be. The first chapter of the book of Genesis, the phrase, and God said, appears some ten times. The very basis of the Bible, as we learned last Sunday night, is the first chapter of the book of Genesis. And to see the phrase, and God said, appear ten times, places some significance in that. In Genesis 1, one gets his feet on the ground concerning God Almighty and God's authority. God's authority is summed up in Genesis chapter 1. You have in that chapter, it says, and God said, and in that you have inspiration. God said. God said what? What is revealed in that chapter shows us revelation. For instance, when you get down to verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. Let there be light is revelation. You have inspiration and revelation, and then you have the confirmation of that inspiration and revelation. God said, There's inspiration. Let there be light. There's revelation. And it was so. That there was light. That's confirmation. When God said something, it was confirmed by miracle. In Genesis 1, you have inspiration, revelation, and confirmation. They always go together. God said inspiration. What did he say? Let there be light, that which is revealed to us. That's the revelation and the confirmation. And there was light. In verse 9, you have the same thing. And God said, let the waters of the heaven be gathered together in one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. And so God said is inspiration. What God said is the revelation, and it was so is the confirmation. You have the same thing over and over again. Look at verse 11. And God said, let the earth bring forth the grass, Herb yielding fruit and fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind and the seed in itself upon the earth and it was so. You have God say it. Inspiration. What he said, revelation, and the very fact that it came to pass is the confirmation of it. And so Genesis chapter 1 then is the basis of God's authority. When God said something and it came to pass, that gives us the very basis of God's authority. If God had said something, it had been revealed, it never came to pass. Would God have been authoritative? Could we listen to God? Could we depend on God? Should we listen to God Almighty? When one reads Genesis chapter 1, gets his feet on the ground concerning what God said in that chapter, then he believes in the authority of God and he stands ready to accept everything else that there is revealed in the Bible. I want to suggest to you this morning some things concerning God said. The very fact that it appears ten times in the first chapter of the Bible suggests that there is something important concerning what God said. The first place, let me suggest, 
that God said is the basis of inspiration. We've already pointed that out. Turn and we'll read together from the second epistle of Timothy if you have your New Testament. In the third division of that epistle, it says, verse 16, beginning, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. I read something quite recently, Saturday, I guess that's recently, where someone said that I'm just as inspired as the apostles were. That's impossible. What inspiration meant were these had the very words of God Almighty. In Genesis 1, 3, when the Bible says the first time, and God said there's the basis of inspiration. For one to be inspired, he has what God has said. And it's not the thoughts of God, but it is the very words of God Almighty. All Scripture, Paul says, is given by inspiration of God. It's inspired. It's God-breathed. It came from God Himself. Not the thoughts of the Scripture, but the words which God breathed, the words that He spoke. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 6, Paul said, Howbeit we speak wisdom among you that are perfect. What kind of wisdom did Paul speak? It was God-breathed words. God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, verse 10. And so in that you have the revelation. Verse 12 says, And we have received not the Spirit of the world, but that which is the Spirit of God, that we might know the things freely given us of God. And there's the inspiration of Scripture. That that we have is that that was given them of God Almighty. It's the very word that God spake. God said is the very basis of all inspiration. For a man to claim inspiration today, to claim to be inspired, he'd have to have what God said. If one's got what God said today, then he'd have to agree with everything that God said heretofore. And since God has said man cannot have an inspiration today or have inspiration, it'd be impossible for one to be an inspired man. God said is the basis of inspiration. The very words that God said were inspired words, not the thought, not the overall picture, but the words themselves were inspired words. In the Ephesian letter, in the third chapter of that letter, Paul said that what he wrote was that that was given by God. It was made known by revelation of God Almighty. God said is the basis of inspiration. Secondly, God said is the basis of revelation. Revelation is that that is revealed by which we have. Inspiration is God saying it. What He said is that which is revealed, that which we have recorded in the book. Second Timothy 3 said that it was revealed by God. In the book of Deuteronomy, you have in the 18th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, man attempting to know the unknown and how that God reveals the unknown. Are we ever going to know the unknown? How can we? There's only one way, by God Almighty 
revealing it. Let me illustrate that. Up here in Atlanta right now, someone has killed some children. I think we're all familiar with that. Man is attempting to know the unknown. How's he doing that? Well, they got some soothsayers up there. Witches. That's what they are. Soothsayers. And they're attempting to reveal the unknown. They had a picture in the paper of the night of a map that one of them from up here around Franklin or somewhere, I don't know, somewhere up above us between here in Atlanta off towards Alabama, drone. I don't remember where it was. Maybe it was Nuna. They'd drawn a map. Brother Tom McCullough and I were up in that area last week. Asked Tommy how many places fit that map. Well, everywhere you'd go, there'd be an interstate here and a fence here. Man is attempting to know the unknown. How can man know the unknown? There's not but one way. By revelation of God Almighty, that's the only way we can know the unknown. The 18th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. The book says, verse 9, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, Thou shalt not learn to do after the abomination of these nations. What are those abominations? The Lord says it's an abomination of these nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, and that's what these people are trying to do. Or an observer of the times, or an enchanter, or a witch or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a nomancer. For all these things are an abomination to God. Because of these abominations, the Lord God doth drive them out before you. You see, that's what happened then in Egypt. And he said it's because of those abominations that God's going to drive them out. In Genesis 15, he told Abraham, you can't go down there and inherit the land. It's going to be yet 400 years. Why? Because the iniquity of the Amorites not yet full. Now they're wanting to know the unknown. They're attempting to find out the unknown. They're sending soothsayers in there to find out the unknown. He said the iniquity is full. Now I'm going to drive them out before you. Why? Because this is an abomination to me. But that's not just happening in the Old Testament. Turn to the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. You've got a man in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts who obeys the gospel. His name's Simon. Verse 9 says, There was a certain man called Simon, which beforehand in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, Giving himself out is some great thing. That's exactly what's taking place up there right now. Sorcery. Witchcraft. Soothsaying. Trying to or attempting to know the unknown without God revealing it. Simon the sorcerer attempted to know the unknown. He attempted to give out that he was some great fella. Verse 10 says, To whom they all gave heed from the least of the greatest, saying, this man hath the great power of God. But did he? No, he didn't have the great power of God. All he had was a lying wonder. To him they gave him regard because for a long time he had bewitched them with their sorcerers. And that's exactly what they're attempting to do. They'll fool people. They'll bewitch people. But that's not the only place. Turn 
again in the book of Acts to the 17th division of the book of Acts, or the 13th rather the division of the book of Acts. You see, the same thing takes place. First in verse 6 it says, And when they had gone through the Isle of Patmos, they found a certain sorcerer and false prophet. Now, that's an abomination to God Almighty. A Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which when he was adapted to the country, Seleucius Paulus was a prudent man, and he called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God from them. But either was a sorcerer. For his name, that was his name by interpretation, withstood. And so Bar-Jesus or Elamus withstood Paul and Saul, or Bar. And it says, seeking to take the deputy away from the faith, and then Saul, who is called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he set his eyes upon him, and he said, Oh, full of all subtility and mischief, thy child of the devil, Thy enemy of righteousness, and that's exactly what an attempt to know the unknown apart from revelation is. It's an enemy of righteousness. Man trying to know the unknown without God revealing it. And the only way a man can know the unknown is by revelation of God. God said is the basis of all revelation, not just some of it. God said is the basis of all revelation. Thy enemy of all righteousness. Wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of God? And behold, the hand of the Lord is on, upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for sea. And immediately there fell upon him a mist and darkness, and he went about seeking those to lead him by the hand. When man attempts to know the unknown apart from God Almighty, he's an abomination to God. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 18 says. We need to be careful about any attempts to know the unknown. I don't believe I'll take the time to read it this morning. We must go on, but read the second chapter of the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know about a dream, and he called the soothsayers in, and that's what they were. The Chaldeans, Daniel calls it. And he says, then you tell me what the dream is, and tell me the interpretation of it. They couldn't do it. Why? It was secret. Why? They didn't know what it was. They said, well, you tell us what the dream is, Neb, and we'll tell you what the interpretation is. Oh, I can't do that. I'm going to kill every one of you if you don't tell me the dream, the interpretation. Daniel was called for. They said, well, now, Daniel's a wise man. Where'd Daniel get all that wisdom? Came from God. Daniel, how are you going to reveal the secret thing? Because it comes from God Almighty. I'm inspired of God. That's how I reveal it. That's the only way I can reveal it. Nebuchadnezzar concluded after Daniel revealed to him what the dream was and the interpretation of it, that Daniel, the man who is serves a God who is a revealer of secrets. That's not right. He's the revealer of secrets. That's just what Nebuchadnezzar concluded. He's the only revealer of secret things. 
The only way man can know the unknown is have it revealed by God Almighty. And we need to get our feet on the ground and understand that revelation comes from God's seed. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, there are some secret things belong to God. There are some things we're not going to never know. We won't take time to read all the passages, but you read First and Second Timothy in the book of Titus. And First Timothy chapter 1, and throughout those books that keep saying, now there are some things you're not going to know, and you're wasting your time arguing about them and discussing them. Why? Well, they belong to God. We ought not discuss genealogies and things like that. Why? That belongs to God Almighty. You stay out of that. Speak thou the things which be fear to become sound doctrine. That's where we ought to rely. Why? Because that's been revealed by God. Revelation is always based upon God said. We need to bear in mind that we'll never know any secret thing unless God revealed it to us. That's the only way we can and the only way we'll ever know it. And so God said is the basis of inspiration. God said is the basis of revelation. In the third place, God said is the basis of all of our knowledge concerning God Almighty. We'll never know anything about God unless God intends that we know it, unless he reveals it to us. The Bible is a character study of God. And the way that we can learn about God and appreciate Him, study our Bible. If we don't appreciate God, we aren't studying enough. If we study our Bible, we will appreciate God, and it's out of that appreciation our hearts are lifted themselves in service of God Almighty. God said is the basis of our knowledge of God. It's the basis of all of our knowledge of God. But I must hasten on. I discussed that last Sunday night. In the fourth place, God said is the basis of all worship. God said is the basis of all acceptable religious experience. There's no individual today who is serving God unless he's serving God on the basis of what God said. You know, there are many people today who want to rely on their feelings and what they think rather than on what God said. How are we going to know that what we're practicing religiously is that that has value in it? Well, somebody says, oh, I came to worship this morning and made me feel good. Somebody else leaves and says, well, I came, I didn't get a thing out of that sermon. You want to know how you'll know whether your worship's successful or not? This book, that's the only way you'll ever know. You want to know whether or not when you face God in judgment that you'll be found to be religious and to be according to the will of God? This book, that's the only way you'll ever know. You can only know by what God's saying. First Samuel 15, Samuel thought, or saw rather thought, that to bring this sacrifice and offer it to God was going to constitute acceptable worship. Oh, God will just be so tickled pink with that. Was he? Samuel said obey is better than sacrificing the harp and than the fat of rams. First Samuel 15, verse 22. In the fourth division book of John, Jesus appears to a woman at the well in Samaria. This Samaritan woman says, Oh, we worship God. 
Well, we worship in this mountain and you worship in this one over here. God pleased with that? No, sir. No. The worship that the Samaritans did was not acceptable to God because it was not based on what God said. You know, you just can't worship God any old way you want to worship Him. You've got to worship God based on what God says. Jesus said in verse 21, Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh in which neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship God. Worship is in God's designated place. That designated place is in the church. Worship involves sacrifice. It always has. Genesis 4 all. Worship involves priesthood. That priesthood is constituted by a priesthood of believers today. Every Christian is a priest. But it must be in that designated place which is in Christ, that is in the church of our Lord. Otherwise, that worship's not acceptable. Jesus is saying, you can worship not in just this mountain, not on a mountain over here, but you worship God in his designated place, and that designated place is church. Look closely at verse 22. You worship, ye know not what. In other words, God's not pleased with your worship. You're worshiping in the wrong place. You're worshiping this mountain. You worship, ye know not what. For salvation is of the Jews. The only way that a man could worship during the law of Moses was through the Judaistic system, the Levitical priesthood. That's the only acceptable worship God Almighty ever had when that was in effect. The only acceptable worship to God Almighty today is in His Lord, in the Lord's church or in Christ. Any other place that a man attempts to worship God, he's gone in the wrong place. Turn to the second Corinthian letter in the fifth chapter of that letter. The apostle Paul says, verse 19 beginning, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The only place you can be reconciled to God's in the church. The only place that you can approach him is in the church. Now we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech us by you, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled unto God. For he who made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be by the righteousness, made the righteousness of God in him. And so good morality is not enough. The only way one can be made righteous is in him through serving through the church of our law. And so just any old religious experience is not enough. One must worship God in the designated way and in the designated place by God's method and God's means. Verse 24, he said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. My friend, if you don't have the right attitude in this assembly this morning, and you're not here for the right purpose, your worship is unacceptable. Just because you have assembled in this place does not mean that your worship is acceptable to God. If it's not based on what God said, then God will turn it down. We better learn that. We better know it. There are many people who are fooling themselves into believing that simply because they go through some form 
They've got the truth and they practice the five items of worship that God just tickled pink with that. Uh-uh. You're as lost as a he ain't. The only way God accepts worship is, is that worship is in spirit and in truth. They're both necessary. It's based on what God says. Brethren who have wrong attitudes towards one another, as we mentioned in the adult class Wednesday night, and come to an assembly and think they can worship God, think they'll spend eternity with God in heaven, are fooling themselves. The only way we can worship God is in spirit and in truth. The fellowship that we enjoy on this earth will be the same fellowship that we enjoy in heaven, and if we don't enjoy it on this earth, we won't enjoy it in heaven. Heaven will be worship. If you don't enjoy worship this morning, you won't be in heaven because there'll be no place for you. Those who seem to think that they can serve God part of the time and then do what they want to the rest of the time, assemble this morning, not come back tonight, you're fooling yourself. If you won't enjoy worship any more than that, heaven not got no place for you because heaven's going to be a place of worship. Attitudes will determine our destinies based on what God said. God said, Christ said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He told that Samaritan woman, here you are, you're worshiping in this mouth. But God's not accepting that worship. He said concerning that woman, ye worship ye know not what. You want to know what you worship? Base it on God said, and then that will be acceptable worship. Otherwise, it won't. God said is the basis of all of our worship. It's the basis of all our religious experience. In Matthew 7, they cry out, Lord, Lord! Jesus said, Depart from me, ye that never knew me, ye workers of iniquity. God said is the basis of all acceptable religious experience. Our feelings have no matter in it. True that a part of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, one will derive from that correct feelings and he'll enjoy that. But what did we learn that worship is to get something? My book says in the first mention of it in Genesis 4, and Abel brought. Wasn't what he got, he gave. And out of that giving in the right way, he got or he received the blessing from it. Worship is to give to God. Worship involves acts paid to deity. When we pay acts to deity, we're derived from that a feeling of peace and contentment. We don't come to worship to get something out of it. We come to worship to worship God Almighty. Not our brethren. Not those who are assembled with us. If we couldn't worship with the devil on the front bench, we'll never make it to heaven. Because the object of our worship is self. You see, worship must be God-centered. Unless our worship is God-centered, then there we have worship. If our worship is self-centered, 
And if our worship's not God-centered, it's self-centered. We've got brethren who are out here. Here are our brethren. If we can get along with God and we're worshiping God Almighty, doesn't matter about our brethren. Our worship God-centered. But if we can't get along with our brethren out here, and somebody says, oh, I'm just not going to go back. We weren't worshiping God to begin with. We had old Seth up here. And when Seth didn't get anything out of it because of these brethren being crossed up down here, we put the blame on God Almighty. We better be worshiping God. God's object to that worship. Worship is based upon what God says. Worship is God-centered, not self-centered. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We need to think carefully and seriously concerning that. But then again, and finally, the basis of all the peace that we enjoy is God's said. Have you ever thought about what life would be like without a knowledge of the Bible? To take this book and to walk down the pathway of life without this book, without a knowledge of what's contained in it, how could there be any peace and contentment? The book of Hebrews and the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, you'll find that the writer of that letter is talking to some who have gone back, others who are struggling with the problems of life, and he says in verse 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Think of how comforting that is. The God of peace who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. Jesus went to the cross, when he had announced to his disciples that he was going there, they had troubled hearts in the 14th division of the book of John. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I'd go to prepare a place for you. That if I go, I'll come again to receive you unto myself, that there where I am, there you may be also. And in verse 27 he says, Peace I live unto you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus said, I'm going to the cross, and out of that will come peace. How? Through the very passage I've read this morning. Through the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the book of Second Peter, and I'll use this to close this morning, in the first division of that book, the Apostle Peter writes to brethren who are undergoing the trials and the troubles and the persecutions of this life. And he says, verse 1 beginning, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have like precious faith, with us through the righteousness of God our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is right there. How are you going to have grace and peace? God saved. Through the knowledge of God. According to his divine power, he hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby he hath given unto us great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Think of the peace and the contentment that there is simply to read that passage. Know that based upon the word of God there is peace. To know that we read God's word and through that comes hope. Romans 14 or 15 rather than verse 4. The apostle Paul writes concerning the Old Testament. That as we read and study our Old Testaments out of that, we receive patience and comfort of the scriptures that we might have hope. There is no comfort apart from what God says. You take away divine revelation. You take away this book. Take it out of your life. Lay it up on the ship somewhere. And what peace is there for you? Get the book down. Read and study the book, knowing that the peace that passes all understanding. Peace. Perfect peace. The only way we can know that is through a knowledge of God's book. God said is the basis of all that we practice in religion. It's the basis of our lives. If you're here this morning and not a New Testament Christian, why not allow God said to be the basis of your life? God has given us a divine plan whereby we might enjoy life to its fullest extent. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That abundant life is available to you this morning. Why not enter into it? Through your faith and your obedience to the gospel of Christ. Have your faith perfected when you're baptized into Christ. To put on Christ. And then serving all the days of your life. So that one day when you face God in judgment. The basis of that judgment God said. Will be lived in your life. And you'll be rewarded with an eternal home in heaven. Your subject won't you come as together we stand and sing.